Hi, I'm Jamin. You're listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. My guest today is Rebecca Brooks, founder and CEO of Alter Agents. Founded in 2010, Alter Agents is based in Los Angeles, California, and is a full-service strategic market research consultancy reimagining research in an era of shifting decision-making. Prior to founding Alter Agents, Rebecca has held senior roles at top market research agencies, including Hall & Partners, Dialogue, and Diagnostic Research. She started her career as an analyst. Rebecca, welcome to the Happy Market Research Podcast. Thank you, Jamin. Happy to be here. This message is brought to you by Displayer. How much of your analysis and reporting time is spent doing manual tasks? All that cutting and pasting, formatting, checking for mistakes, redoing work, using too many tools, and trying just to figure it all out. Try Displayer today. It's software that automatically does the painful tasks for you. Thousands of companies already use Displayer to cut their analysis and reporting time literally in half. I use the platform, I love it, and I know. Get a demo and a free trial at displayer.com slash happy, spelled D-I-S, P-L-A-Y-R dot com forward slash happy. This episode is brought to you by SurveyMonkey. You may know SurveyMonkey as a leader in feedback software, but may not know about their all-in-one market research platform. It's powered by AI technology and taps into an integrated global audience panel to deliver insights faster without compromising quality. Their latest innovation is the SurveyMonkey brand tracker. It disrupts traditional research techniques by helping companies continuously monitor shifts in brand perception. Instead of static presentations, data is delivered by dynamic dashboards. Revolutionary AI-powered insights instantly surface meaningful trends so you can spend less time digging through data and more time on your high-impact strategy. To learn more about SurveyMonkey's market research solutions, Take a second, visit surveymonkey.com slash market dash research. That's surveymonkey.com slash market dash research. Let's start out with our marquee question. Tell us about your parents and how they inform who you are today and what you're doing. Yeah, it's an interesting question when it comes to a career. Both my parents did not go to college. They ended up getting their degrees in night school while we were small children. And I think that watching them, you know, work all day, come home, study, get their degrees was a real, it really instilled in me the value of education, testament to hard work. They were both really committed to it. My mom was a nurse who ended up running a cardiac rehabilitation program within the hospital. So after you had a heart attack, You went through her program to learn how to take care of yourself and recover and all those kinds of good things. And basically every person in my small town that had a heart attack knew my mom. And so whenever we were out in public, we were always stopped by folks who adored her and thanked her and told me how wonderful she was. And that gave me a real sense of the impact that you can have, the the power that one job can have and the power of kindness. My dad was an engineer and he got his associate's degree, which was as far as he got. And he never managed to get a bachelor's. And as he got older, he started to get passed in the promotion track by folks that had bachelor's degrees who were younger, 
many of whom he even trained. And so in a, in a different way, that kind of taught me the inherent unfairness of a system like that and how you know decisions can be made at a broad level from a corporate perspective that, you know, yes, people in this position should have a bachelor's degree without thinking about the human impact of that kind of decision and what that means. And so they didn't really inform my choice to go into market research, but their work ethic, their experiences at work really informed a lot about how I run my business now and how I kind of how I approach work and life. How do you think businesses in general are prioritizing education over skill and contribution today? Yeah, you run into it more frequently than you would think. For instance, I have a, a friend who works at a company, she's on the client side, and they were hiring for a position and would only consider people with graduate degrees, so advanced degrees, from Ivy League schools. And you know, she was participating in the interview process because this was going to be her boss. And every one of them was not a great fit for the company, for the role, but they had the, the pedigree that the company wanted. And there, there were other candidates that were never even considered that might have been perfect. I think it can be blinding in a way where you think you're getting best of the best, but I forget who said it, but somebody, there was a CEO once who said that their favorite people they like to hire are B plus students, because B plus students really had to work for that B plus. They had to apply themselves, they had to try, and that kind of grit and determination was much more valuable than an A student. I'm on that same page. I agree. I think there's a lot that's wrapped up in grades as the rubric for potential value creation inside of businesses. Mm -hmm. The right to your point about the B plus, there's a there's a story behind every one of those letter grades. And it's different for every student. And so, you know, it definitely plays a, a part. But, you know, thinking about the student who had to hold down a full-time job, they're making trade-offs with their time. Right. And as opposed to the student who, you know, potentially has a full-time tutor and, you know, all the support in order to see their grades being facilitated. It's an interesting point that you're making about prioritization of businesses in viewing potential candidates as more or less attractive based on their GPAs. What would be a reason why a business would want to prioritize somebody who had a advanced degree from a top school versus not? I mean, in some cases, it makes sense, right? If you're looking for, you know, an advanced data scientist to be able to do things that they couldn't have taught themselves, right? And that they needed a structure for that. That's can be beneficial, if you're looking to really transform your business and you want, you know, a person that graduated with an MBA from a top school and you're going to give them a lot of responsibility to do that, that can make sense. You know, we've always had a motto that we hire on attitude, not skills, because we can always teach skills. We can't teach attitude. And it's worked for us. And I think that, you know, it's just much easier to train somebody on how to do a job and to help them learn how to do the job if they're curious and passionate and collaborative and all of the good things that we look for. So, yeah, I don't know. I struggle with the idea of there's a specific job that requires that kind of advanced degree. There's a lot to be said for lived experience, too. Let's talk a little bit about alter agents. Can you give us you know, you started the business in 2010, so congratulations on a decade of success. 
you recently had a post on LinkedIn, very empathetic about helping people who are recently unemployed or unemployed in general, you didn't put a time frame around it, uh, looking for work in market research, whether going to work for alter agents or any other companies that are inside of your network making introductions. So first of all, tell us about alter agents, and then I'll, I guess I'll ask my question. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Alter Agents does kind of everything. We do qualitative, quantitative. We're very custom, so we don't have any products we take off the shelf, but we build everything from the ground up for our clients. We're really the agency that you go to when you have a tougher question, a harder problem to solve. If you want to run, you know, 30 copy tests in a very standardized format, there are companies out there that do a better job than we do on that. But when it comes to the tougher questions, for instance, and this work is actually going to be published, so we'll be able to share it in a little bit. But we did some research with a client on the meaning of friendship. It was a global study, 16 different countries. And, you know, kind of how is friendship changing during COVID? And what is the role of technology in friendship and maintaining friendships? So that's the kind of stuff that we really love to sink our teeth into. We've had our best year in 2020, which is strange, but we ended up hiring seven people this year, which is pretty exciting. And so, yeah, hiring is hiring and qualifications and skill sets and stuff are top of mind for me because we've just gone through a pretty enormous growth. Uh, so congratulations. And it speaks to, I think, this tension between, you know, having a top degree versus having, you know, applied skills. I'm really curious. I'm thinking about like why we want to hire a top, like why I would have that as a requirement, you know, top school. And it would never be a detriment, of course, to a person. But, sure. um, you know, one reason might be because it opens up doors for me from a marketing perspective, right? Mm. So, you know, I've got the most whatever data scientists from whatever, from Stanford or what have you. Again, that's a great, that's a great thing. But, you know, the actual value creation inside of the, inside of the business, I feel like is moving away from that messaging and more towards one of actual contribution to the business and added value into those client relationships. When you're bringing your staff on board, right, your, your new hires yeah. into the fold, what does that process look like? How do you make sure that those values are instilled in them in the, in the beginning phases? Yeah, it's a really good question. Two years ago, really put our values at the center of all of our decision making. And that goes with the people we hire to how we run our bonus program to the kinds of, you know, the, the challenges we face with clients, everything goes back to our values. Does it live up to our values? And so that's really how we, how we interview. We'll ask people questions about, you know, either different hypotheticals or challenges that they faced in their business and get a read on their response. You know, is that, is how they handled that situation in line with our values? It's a hard thing to measure right? So the people doing the interviewing have to be really clear on what they're looking for. But I think it, it's so critical. Every single person that we hired this year is a rock star. And not because I honestly, I couldn't tell you what college they came from, or even if they have a college degree. What I do know about them is that they are, you know, whip smart, creative, funny, collaborative, curious, interesting, all the good things, all the good things that we want. I definitely get from sort of a, you know, burnishing the reputation that having a, a PhD or a, you know, Ivy League MBA on your roster and 
particularly if it's an you know sort of an outward facing role or a leadership role, can help for sure. But I, I would see that as sort of a bonus to if they're the right person, and then they have that. That's great. But that being the right person is so much more important in my mind. So 2020 has been the year of change. Nobody could have seen this coming. And clearly, I mean, we don't even know what we're at the end of October. I mean, we have two <laughs> two months left. I have no idea how this year is going to end. <laughs> yeah. So, right. Next question is, is kind of tough. How do you see the market research space changing over the next three to five years? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll give my standard response, which is if I knew that I'd be a, a millionaire. I don't know that anybody knows, but I do have a few thoughts on, I'm not exactly sure how it'll play out, but these are the things that I know or I feel confident in. I think that there is going to be a depression. I don't think there's going to be a recession. I don't think that we can contain the financial damage that's been done. It's across too many categories too many folks and industries have been affected. I think it's going to take, and we, we've done nothing to address that. So I, you know, I think that there's going to be a lot of upheaval. And I think that there's going to be, in a way, a lot of opportunities for market research because industries will be changing. The way we shop, the way we interact, the way we behave is all changing. And clients that are you know, really smart are going to want to find out what those changes are and stay on top of them. And they're starting to do that research now. I think there's going to be some real upheaval. You know, there are going to be market research companies that have relied on a few specific industries that if those industries really suffer in the next six to 12 months could be in trouble. I think we're going to go back into a period of acquisition. A lot of larger companies taking advantage of a buyer's market and being able to snatch up some smaller companies and add to their client portfolio and add to their talent roster. Change, achievement <laughs> is my horrible answer for what I think the future is going to hold. You know, we've always had a lot of change in terms of technology and ways that we can do our job. I mean, I started when we were still doing, you know, punch cards that I think is something that the industry is very used to and able to adapt to and move with. But I think that the things that we're going to see coming are actually going to really hit at the business models of the way companies are run. We've seen it with, you know, some layoffs already, although I think those have been more about, you know, protecting some bottom line as opposed to reimagining the way they do their work. But I suspect that a lot of the bigger companies in particular are going to have to have a sit down and think about the way they're currently running their business and what do they need to change to adapt. You think it gets down to like terms of trade? Meaning like the actual how we structure doing business with the market? I think I mean in terms of the role of syndicated, right? What's the value that you're getting out of a syndicated product? And companies that have built around that, is that something that's sustainable in this time of great upheaval and change? Maybe more so. Maybe syndicated becomes even more necessary. I'm not sure. Quick turn projects, right? These fast and dirty things that I don't mean dirty in a negative way. I mean, fast in, you give me a problem. I've got a product that can solve for that. I'm going to turn that around for you quickly. Those kinds of things, I think, require the world to kind of be operating as is. And it's not going to be operating as is. So I wonder about those types of products and their longevity 
And then I think that, you know, this is going to require a lot of flexibility and the ability to look ahead in the next year. I don't think you can look much farther than that, to be honest, there's going to be so much change, but to look ahead in the next year and think about how do we need to change as a company? And if your organization has any rigidity or is slow to make that change or resistant to make that change, I think that's trouble. Yeah, that's super interesting on both points, the economic perspective on a global basis. And then I hadn't actually considered that. I'd been framing it a little bit more in terms of clients bringing more of the research operations internally. And then from an external perspective or a customer or sorry, a vendor perspective, you know, seeing those vendors as really value partners or trusted advisors uh, and, you know, leveraging the expertise that they just can't build out internally. What do you think about that? Am I totally wrong? No, I mean, I think that's, I think that's true too. I think that everything's kind of on the table, right? There are going to be companies that pull market research closer to them either with their internal function or relying more on partners to help them because they understand the value of that and they're prioritizing it in their organization. So I I do think that that's true. But I think there are also companies that are just going to be slashing budgets and not really thinking about the impact of those budget slashes, right? They're just going to be looking for ways to save money and, Mm -hmm. you know, reduce staff, reduce expenses. In a way, I think it's kind of like the same way that we were talking earlier about finding the right people. You really kind of have to find the right clients mm. in terms of how you look at like, okay, this client that I'm pitching, are they going to be around in a year? <laughs> First of all, how is their industry doing? How are they kind of approaching this challenge? What are they expecting out of us? I, nobody, including us, is in a position to turn away work at the moment. You want to get the work. But in terms of like, who you're pursuing when you look at your lead list and the ideal clients and who you want to go after, I do think that we need to be thinking about, are they the right fit, right, for for what you have to offer and for the health of their industry and their business. All right. So our topic today is really around how to manage a successful career, right? So yeah. let's... You and I could talk, it would be super fun to talk at length about this, <laughs> the future outlook of the space. So what, what do you see as three keys to managing a successful career? I think that the three keys are first is know exactly who you are. People tend to get into jobs or positions that they think might be a good fit or that they thought would be interesting, but they're not. It is very challenging to navigate a successful career when the decisions you're making about where to go and how to move yourself forward aren't in line with who you really are as a person, what your strengths are. The second is that, and you know, this isn't a revelation for me, but that you should be interviewing the company just as much as they're interviewing you, in particular, their work culture. I've seen a lot of excellent people take jobs at companies because they were you know, really interesting or, I don't know, a thousand different reasons, but there were red flags in the interview process that there was something off about the culture that wasn't going to be a good fit for them. And, you know, then they spend the next two to three years struggling at a company that that can really damage a career. So definitely pay attention to the work culture, ask questions about it, make sure that you're going to be a good fit, make sure that your skills are going to be valued and rewarded. And then the third thing I think is don't be afraid 
to make changes. I've taken some pretty big moves in my career, you know, from leaving a senior position at a company to start my own business and other things that I've done along the way. And I think that those risks have always paid off. There've been some things I've done that haven't paid off, but in the, in the grand scheme of things, I think that taking risks and pushing yourself brings dividends. And in a lot of cases, the taking risks is very much connected to your second point, right? Which is understand the cultural fit between you and the potential company that you're going to work for, or current company that you're work for. I and mean, just be really honest because there can be a lot of f- fear mm-hmm. around not a, around taking a uh, or not taking a job that's a bad fit because of a you know the red flags like you're like you've articulated. The challenge, though, of course, is you got to, you know, we all have mortgages and yes, Starbucks yes. And, and everything. Well, and else. I mean, I'm just thinking like, it's kind of an obnoxious piece of advice at this time because there are a lot of people out of work and there aren't a lot right. of jobs out there, right? So we don't have the luxury of being picky. And I know people, you know, that have been laid off in the last few months that the, you know, the clock is ticking on them. They've got a little bit of time to get back in there and there aren't a lot of jobs. So it's, it's, I guess I should have couched it as that's my advice in normal situations. And in these days with how tough the market is out there, you know, maybe you do have to take a leap into a company that does have red flags for you because you need to pay the mortgage and you need to get a job. If that's the case though, make your plan for what you need to accomplish there and when you're going to get out. So that you have you have an exit strategy, you can add value to your resume and your skill set and get what you need out of the company. And then when the market's better, find an exit. My son, he's 18 years old, my oldest, and in college this year, which is a weird first year college <laughs> experience. He's been driving for Uber Eats, but he's really wanted a regular, like, you know, job, a college job, right? So mm-hmm. so he'd spent a ton of time refining his resume and submitted it out to a bunch of different companies, you know, locally and never even made it into the interview process. Right. Mm, Yeah. And then he just got hired for his first like real job. I'll call it that as a busboy at a restaurant. And we were talking about it a couple of nights ago over dinner and he was super excited about it. And finally asked me, I said, well, what do they think about your resume? He goes, oh, they didn't even ask me about my resume. (laughs) Right. And and so the what wound up happening is is a good friend of his who's an employee at this restaurant, the manager said, Hey, I need to hire somebody and I really like you. So do you know anybody in your network? Yeah. And the kid said, Yeah, I got this buddy who I think would be a great fit. And so my son went, interviewed, and got hired, all because of this, you know, this connection that he had inside. If I'm unemployed right now, I'm thinking to myself, how do I improve my network? Right, so that I can get to the potential companies that are hiring and doing it in an authentic way, right? Yeah, that is absolutely so so important. Because, and, and I'll tell you this too, observationally, we have a very supportive industry. Uh, the people that are hiring, such as yourself, are more than happy to invest in people. Obviously, not full time, but uh, and I and I think that a lot of times when you're in that negative cycling of you know I just lost my job and oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Is there anything out there for me? And kind of, you know, our brains work so against us for whatever reason 
in those, especially in those situations when we need to turn them on positively. It's like figure out how you can connect with people like yourself who can be positive influences and cheerleaders and also mm-hmm. add some value with their potential network. Gosh, I am such a fan of organizations, right? Like WIRE, IA, mm-hmm. places where you can connect with folks. It's a shame that the conference circuit is kind of shuttered at the moment because I think those connections actually do much more for your career than your resume. It's the people you know, and it's who introduces you. I mean, every hire that we made this summer, we hired five people this summer, came to us through a connection. Mm-hmm. Um, we posted on LinkedIn, but and there were a lot of great resumes, much more than we'd ever seen before, I think is a sign of the economy. But we never even got to interview any of those folks because the people we knew through people we knew were the ones that got the jobs. So yeah, it is really important. Yeah. It's that like produces like, and so birds of a feather and all that sort of stuff, right? You are the five average, you are the average of the five people you hang out with the most. Right? <laughs> so it's, we need it. Right. And as an employer, you know, we take on inherent risk when we bring somebody in. And, and so, you know, if, if you were to hire me, let's say, then, you know, you know that my network is going to be comprised of people that are kind of like me good or bad. It's probably more bad than good, but you know, know, so, I mean, so you think about like wire, I think is a really important opportunity, especially if you're a woman insights association, as as you articulated, you know, green book, of course, quirks. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this virtual lunch on, and it's totally free on Tuesdays and, and Fridays at 11 to 1130. And that's actually been a great connector for people that are looking for jobs with potential hires. So, you know, if people are ever interested in that, you can just look me up on LinkedIn. You'll find the, uh, you'll find the Zoom information there, but you know, yeah, perfect. Yeah. There's just, there's just so much, I think wrapped up in, if you are looking for a job and in, in the need, need to build human, con- like real human connection and, and figure out like how those can get facilitated. Do you have any recommendations? Like if you were in that situation, how you would go about building out your network? In today's world where you can't just like go to an event and start chatting up people, I think you have to be a bit more overt about it. You know, there have been some folks that have reached out to me on LinkedIn that have asked for 20 minutes of my time to talk about their career or to offer advice or something. I accept all of those. I think that, you know, reaching out, connecting, LinkedIn is the tool at the moment. But then also, I think going back and looking at past colleagues, right? Who have you gelled with? in the past that, you know, they may be client side, they may be in a totally different industry, but reaching back out to them and talking about your situation and what you're looking for. And the more of those kinds of feelers you can put out there, the better. It's funny, I'm an introvert and I don't like small talk or mingling. But when I look at my career, there's only been one job that I got through a traditional, like submitted my resume, did an interview, got the job. Everything else has been through connections that I've had with people, which is pretty startling actually to think about. But that is 100% the truth. It is the people that you know. Yeah. And wrapping back to education, I think the big benefit that you get, I mean, it's no accident that Harvard has more billionaires that have come out of it than any other MBA school or business school. Because, you know, like attracts like, and, and there is this like natural, this ability to be able to... In 10 years after graduating, you have the CEO of Sony, right? Who's one of your, in your cohort, 
it's easy mm-hmm. to get a senior level job at Sony if you have a good relationship exactly. with that person. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've always thought that the difference between an Ivy League education and a public college education really came down to the people that you met in that environment. Yeah. It's not so much the education. You can have amazing professors in a community college. Totally. But the people that you meet, the friends you hang out with, the connections that you're building are really critical. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that you can't achieve the same thing if you've not gone to an Ivy League school. You just need to get to places where those people That's are right. and meet them and introduce yourself and have a little chutzpah. What advice would you give your 10-year younger self? I thought about that question when you posed it, and I'm going to have to steal from Oprah. At the Qualtrics event in 2019, she spoke on the main stage, and somebody asked her that question. And she said, I would tell myself to listen to the whispers. And that just really hit me. What she meant by that was, there's always a little nagging, like, "Mm, that doesn't feel right thing that goes on in your head. And you push through it because... You don't want to cause waves or you just want to get through this thing or, you know, no, they're not like that. Like you come up with a lot of reasons why you shouldn't listen to the whisper. And most of the times, well, 100% of the time for me, that whisper was right. Mm. And so I think that now I really try to, when I'm in a situation and I have that moment of like, oh, to stop and think about it. What's going on here? Why do I want to push forward with this despite the whisper, right? Is that the right thing to do? Intuition is another way to call it, right? It's just, it's paying attention to those red flags and not letting other circumstances kind of push you to ignore them because they will most likely come back and be a much bigger problem at some point. What is your personal motto? (laughs) I thought about this one a lot too. And I think that for me, it's, and this is going to sound so cheesy, but it is the golden rule. It's how I run my company, right? Every decision I've made as a boss has been from the perspective of when I was an employee, I wasn't treated the way I wish I'd been treated. I wasn't given ownership or visibility into how things were done. There were politics. There were all these things that I just, I wish didn't exist when I was an employee. And now that I'm in a position to create an environment, I try to create the environment that I wanted when I was an employee. I want to treat my employees the way I wish I had been treated, I guess is a way to say it, right? It's the golden rule. And so as simple as it is, as cliche as it is, I think it has been, it's worked for me, especially in these last, like, let's say five years as I've gotten more clarity on what I want out of my career and how I want to, you know, live my work life. That has become a real clear principle for me. Would I have appreciated it if somebody did this to me when I was an employee? If the answer is yes, then I do it. If it's no, then I don't. My guest today has been Rebecca Brooks, founder and CEO of Alter Agents. Thank you, Rebecca, for joining me on the Happy Market Research podcast today. Thank you so much, Jamin. It was fun. Everyone else, I hope you found value in this episode. I learned a few things and, of course, always enjoy my time with Rebecca as few as it's been lately. Um, I hope that you will take time to screen capture and share this on social media. If you tag me on LinkedIn or Twitter, when you do that, I will send you a t-shirt free of charge. How's that for a two-sided relationship? Have a great rest of your day. 